You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Beginning today, we're beginning a, a short series on the identity crisis. Who am I? We're taking a break from the book of Luke, and we'll return to that after we finish this series. But in this day and time, we look around and we say, who am I? We're told who we are by many. You say, well, who do you say you are? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Why do you believe what you believe? Have you asked yourself those questions? Why do you believe what you believe? What is your identity? See, many of us believe things that we were told to believe in churches. I'm an example of that. When you grow up in a particular denomination, that's what you believe. Don't question it. You go through life as a child and go up as an adolescent to become an adult, and those are the things that you identify with. Those are the things you believe because you've been told by someone standing up at the pulpit or on a podium like I am now telling you this is what you need to believe. Sitting in Bible classes, this is what you need to believe. This is who you are. And that's pretty simple explanation, isn't it? I'm not saying anyone is wrong. I'm just saying that's how we're conditioned to be. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if I would you please turn there, 1 Corinthians 15, and also... If you have your phones or iPads and you want to follow along on the Uversion app, we have notes in there that go along with what we're talking about this morning that you could save and go over it again later if you'd like or add your notes to it as we go along. First Corinthians chapter 15 is the core biblical doctrine. This is the doctrine of God. There's no need for explanation by having a creed or a pamphlet explaining the doctrine of God. Here it is. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. And the first part of this chapter deals with what is the most important. Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and now you stand firm in it. This is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Look at verse 2. It says, this is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe in the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important. Some versions say of first important. But he says, I passed on to you what was the most important. 
highlight that, underline that in your Bibles. And what had also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. This is what is of first importance. This is the basis of our salvation. This is the doctrine that we're to follow. Prosperity gospel is nowhere mentioned here. There's no mention here at all if, if I do this for you, God, you'll do this for me. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right here. And everyone who's, in the, who's watching or listening, you have heard the gospel. Paul said if you believe in these things and you stand in these things, you will be saved. But I'm afraid in our, even in our Christian world now, we don't put this as a first importance. We put ourselves as in first importance. That what I get out of this, God, is more important. What this world is about me. If I'm happy, if I get what I want, all that is the lie of the devil. That we pursue happiness through what I want. God tells us, if you walk with me, the Spirit will tell you what you need. And the Spirit will bring joy and happiness to you. But this is who we are. Solving the identity problem. The crisis. We are the believers of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that is what is of first importance. Has anybody asked you why you're a Christian? Has anybody asked you why you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He actually rose from the dead? Have you ever answered that question? There, there is an answer, and there is evidence to prove that. Because the resurrection is at the heart of the message. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we, not, we would not be celebrating the birth of Christ coming up here in a couple of weeks. The resurrection is what makes all the promise of God valid. Because without the resurrection... Christianity just be another religion. But I'm going to tell you something that a lot of people will not think that is true. Christianity is not a religion. It's not a religion. It's from God. Religion is from man. Christianity is God's way of life for us. To be followers of Christ, to be a Christian means be a follower. First century believers said they were believers. They walked with Christ. See, skeptics of the, re of the resurrection of Jesus say this. You can't prove that Jesus rose from the dead. If you're posed with that question, can you prove that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Because there's no scientific proof. And we live in an age that that's scientific proof means everything. Right? And how, how do we know if this happened historically? 
Well, how do you know if George Washington was first president of the United States? How do you know that? I taught civics for years. And you talked about the foundation of the American government and so on. But how do you prove that George Washington actually was the first president of the United States? There's no scientific proof. You can't recreate him in a lab. And you can't bring him back to life. So how do you, how do you go through this scientific method? You know, scientific method, basic steps. Make an observation that describes a problem. Create a hypothesis, test the hypothesis, and draw conclusions and refine the hypothesis. It's all about hypothesis. That's just an educated guess. So none of these steps can prove that George Washington was first president of the United States. But it is proven that George Washington was the president of the United States by applying historical evidence. So you gather all the evidence, and then you have a clear view. What is the evidence? People saw him. They saw George Washington. So that's eyewitness testimony. And people wrote about what they saw and heard. So the eyewitnesses wrote about this. And we actually have some of George Washington's writings that we can look at. There's a portrait of George Washington. Many portraits, matter of fact. But all of this testifies from a collective belief that George Washington was the first president of the United States. Now, do you believe that George Washington was the president of the United States? Yes, because there's evidence to prove he was. Do you know that there's greater evidence that Jesus existed and that his resurrection actually happened than Plato and Homer existed? There is more historical evidence proving that Jesus Christ existed and that he rose from the dead than there is that Plato and Homer existed. These icons in the Greek world. You haven't thought about that, have you? Now here's three proofs that Paul is bringing out in 1 Corinthians 15. Three proofs of the resurrection. This is elementary, but it's important because this is who we are. And if someone was to ask you, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? How do you know he came to this earth and he lived a life? Well, I, I think that Jesus probably lived on this earth. He was a good person, but he, he couldn't have died and, and then rose from the dead. Can't prove that. Yes, we can. We can prove that. And 1 Corinthians gives us the proof. First proof of evidence. The resurrection was anticipated in Scripture. In other words, it was prophesied. The resurrection was foretold in ancient Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. So I passed on to you what's most important, and what also had been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. See, the story wasn't dreamed up or come up with just at the time of Jesus. God brought this story, what was going to happen, centuries before it happened. It was revealed. So Paul refers to the Old Testament scriptures twice. And that's because he wants 
the readers, he wants us to know that it was foretold. One of the common things that we were told to believe, some of us were told to believe that we didn't, did not need to believe was that the Old Testament wasn't relevant to us. All of God's Word is relevant. All of it. And Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. See, those, those type of things that we were told to believe aren't true. Jesus referred to Old Testament Scripture when he talked about himself. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, and according to Luke 24, verses 13 through 35, he appeared to a couple of followers on the road to Emmaus. So Jesus, the Scripture before 24 tells us that Jesus hid his identity, or God hid his identity from these two believers for the moment. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that the prophets, what all the prophets wrote in the scripture. He's describing us, our generation. Jesus says, You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures things concerning himself. Jesus stood in that road. After he had rose from the dead, he stood in that road and he taught the gospel. Jesus taught the gospel and used scripture to do it. That is evidence. And before his death, the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign. In Matthew 12, verse 38 through 40, Jesus said this, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days in three nights. And Jesus was telling them that he was foreshadowing his death, burial, and resurrection by using this example of Jonah. See, they wanted a sign, but they were living amongst signs. We need to recognize prophecy. We need to be involved in studying God's Word. That's how you learn God's way of living. That's how you understand prophecy. That's how you understand who you are and what you believe. Because I'm telling you, as I'm standing here, there were things that I believed that were not biblical. But I was told to believe it, and I believed it because I trusted the people telling me. But there's only one to trust, and that's Jesus Christ. And you get in His Word, and you look at what He has to say, and the truth will be revealed to you. You pray to the Holy Spirit to fill your life and guide you in your thoughts, guide you in what you think, guide you in how you do things. Does that make sense? Because that's what the scripture teaches. 
That's who we are. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And he tells me he's going to fill me with his Holy Spirit if I believe in him. But there are people out there saying there's no such thing as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's blasphemy. It's important to know who you are. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter stood up before the multitudes to proclaim the gospel to thousands who had gathered on that day of Pentecost, he says this in verse 27. He's quoting from Psalm 16. He says, For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. David wrote that centuries before, but David was not talking about himself. He was talking about the Messiah that was to come. That God would not allow the Holy One to rot in a grave. And then Paul said this as he stood before King Agrippa in Acts 26, defending what he believed. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. And that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Paul said, I, I teach nothing but what the prophets had said. The Old Testament is so relevant. And Jesus predicted his own resurrection in Mark 8 verse 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but in three days he would rise from the dead. He predicted his death. But Jesus didn't pre just predict his death. He walked out of a grave. Prophecy. You know, there's over 300 predictions about the birth, lineage, life, death, and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Old Testament Scripture. Over 300. Don't tell me the Old Testament's not relevant. As God says it is. One fourth of the Bible, approximately one fourth, is about prophecy. And yet we're scared to study that. We're scared to get into it. Because we've been told it doesn't pertain to us or that's not for you to understand. If it wasn't in there, God put it there for a reason. For us to understand. God predicts what's going to happen before it takes place. And all these predictions are layered with details. And it requires study to get into those details and peel the layers back. And Jesus said this about prophecy in John 14, verse 29. I told you these things before they happen, so when they do happen, you will believe. Why do you believe what you believe? If you're a student of the Bible and you know, you see what has come, that God said what happened, it strengthens your faith. I believe because of God, trust in God. The second proof of evidence is that Jesus died. So that's 
That's not a very intelligent statement. Well, Paul made a point in verse 15, 15 verse 4, that Jesus actually died and he was buried. Because there's many who don't think he really died. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He's emphatic about this. And there's people today that don't believe that Jesus died. It was, it was just a trick. In 1965, there was a book written by Hugh Seanfield called The Passover Plot. And the central premise of this Passover plot was that Jesus had planned and engineered his own death and resurrection. The swoon theory. That Jesus actually just passed out on the cross. They took him down and put him in this tomb. And because the temperature was cold enough, it kept him from dying. He woke up and he had help getting out of the tomb. Now I'm sure this book was written in 1965 that Mr. Schoenfeld has found out different by now. The Gospels give eyewitness accounts of the, Jesus, of the death of Jesus Christ. Eyewitness accounts. Matthew said he gave up his spirit. Mark and Luke said he breathed his last. John said, bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And we read that the Roman soldiers didn't break his legs because he was already dead. As they were going around breaking the legs of those who were still alive. Historical evidence. Third proof of evidence here in 1 Corinthians 15 is that his resurrection was affirmed by others. Look at verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 15. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. 500 people saw him at the same time. most of whom are still alive, although some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Now how do you prove a resurrection? You show up. We just don't read that he walked out of the tomb. We just don't read that he rose from the dead. We have eyewitnesses that saw him. Just not the apostles, although they, they were mentioned there. And eyewitness testimony is always a credible form of evidence. And y'all been a juror in court? Been to court? It's always who saw that happen. Eyewitness account is important. The most reliable source of evidence. So Paul mentions five reliable witnesses. The first one, Peter. Why him? Why, why did Jesus appear to Peter, one of the first ones he appears to? Why? <clears throat> what had Peter done? He denied him. He didn't believe. And now he's feeling hopeless. He's out there going back to fishing. So Peter went from hopelessness to hope. I mean, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. All praise to God, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Do you live with great expectation? Peter did because he's, he believed in the resurrected Jesus. He saw him. He went from a man who was selfish and had no hope to somebody that lived for Jesus Christ. Peter had problems. We've read about some of them in, in studying different books in the Bible. But what he had at this point, he had an unrelentless effort in his life to tell about Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born again. Because, because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Without that, there is no gospel. There is no salvation. Then he says in verse 5 that he appeared to the twelve. Think about this. Kenneth Scott Littorette is an author and he wrote this. It is the conviction of the resurrection of Jesus which lifted his followers out of despair into, his, into which his death had cast them and led them into perpetuation of the movement begun by him for by their profound belief that the crucified had risen from the dead and that they had seen him and talked with him the death of Jesus even Jesus himself probably would have all been but would forgotten you know there are those out there that say that Jesus was a good man who said some good things about how to live that's what Buddha did that's what that's what foreign gods no, this, we're talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Lamb of God. He wasn't just a man, he was God, and he is God. Verse 6, the 500 witnesses. The resurrection didn't happen out in a remote area out in the country or in the desert. It happened in Jerusalem. And this was the week of the Passover. And there were millions of people in Jerusalem. And when he appeared to 500, that news would go out and spread like a fire. 500 people at one time saw him. And then in verse 7, James, there are many who believe that this is the half-brother of Jesus. If you think back to Mark chapter 3, Jesus' own family didn't accept that he was the Messiah. And that's one reason many think that this is his half-brother. In verse 3 of Mark, verse 21, chapter 3, verse 21, says this, When his family heard what was happening, that is, the family of Jesus, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. His mom may be the only one that believed. But his half-siblings did not. But James would become a great evangelist of the gospel after seeing the risen Jesus. Then there's Paul. Verse 8, Paul said, I witnessed him. It was about 25 years later that he saw Jesus from the time that Jesus died. 
Jesus witnessed Jesus, Paul witnessed Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now, what had Paul been? He'd been a persecutor of Christians. He led many to their deaths because they were believers, men, women, and children. He had spent his life's work was to persecute and imprison and kill Christian people. So don't tell me you can't be forgiven when you accept Jesus. There's nothing that can't be forgiven when we come to him. Now, I'm going to wrap things up, and I want to read a few things about what Jesus said about himself. John 11 and verse 25. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Who are you? I am a believer in the resurrection. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus said that I am the resurrection. I am the life. That's who we are. We are believers in Jesus Christ. And Jesus proved who he was by walking out of the grave. Witnesses saw him. He had announced that he would die and rise from the dead. And he did it. In John 10, verse 17 and 18, The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I may take it back again. Jesus predicting what was happening. No one can take my life from me. See, Satan, Satan was instigating all the hate, but it, that in the riling against Jesus, Satan thought he had done it. Jesus says, I give my life. No one can kill me unless I give it. That's how much he loved us. That's how much he wanted us to be saved, that he gave his life. For us. He said, so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to. And also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. And he fulfilled this promise. And because God fulfilled this promise, we can... We can bank on every promise that God has made to us will happen. It will happen if God promised it. And because He is alive, that Jesus is alive, you have a message of hope. And what sets the church apart is that we are saved because we believe in a resurrected Jesus. No other, no, the, all these other religions in the world don't have this. See, the Spirit of God is showing us the things of Christ. And the Spirit of God is making us love the things of Christ. But we've got to let Him in. Paul wrote this in Romans 10. We open up the lesson this morning with the gospel. And we're going to close it. With the gospel. And you're going to have opportunity. If you haven't given your life to Jesus. To do that in just a moment. If you openly declare. 
that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. All the scriptures tell us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. In verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we believe that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose from the dead, we are living proof ourselves of the resurrection. And when we go through baptism, we are reenacting with the symbolism of the death, burial, and resurrection, that we have died to sin, that we are buried in water, and we come up out of that watery grave. And we walk out like Jesus walked out of the tomb. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. Who are you? What is your identity? If you cannot say this morning that I am a child of the king, today's the day to do that. If you have been wandering, you haven't been walking hand in hand with God, today is the day to change that. The resurrection is who the people we are. The, last, the latter part of 15, 1 Corinthians 15, talks about our resurrection. Without Jesus' resurrection, we would have no resurrection. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here now. As we sing this song, you'll have opportunity to come down. If you need prayer, if you're ready to give your life to God, now's the time. Father, we thank you for this opportunity of talking about the gospel. The core, the core doctrine that you give us. Father, I pray that anyone here this morning needs you and they haven't been walking with you, that today is the day that the Spirit We'll urge them to come down and let's get that taken care of. Father, we pray that you take us over. That we allow your spirit to work mightily in each one of our lives. Thank you, Father, for the resurrected Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tonti Town, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.